it really is our heart this year as a church. Um, I think God has done some really sweet things in drawing us together as a community. But thinking through this idea of participating as a community, how do we get really involved in the Lord's work? And so I just love Shirley's heart in this for um, just a simple way for us to get out and love our neighbors. And um, so anyway, more of that kind of thing to follow. But um, but there's just so much richness and joy in that as we participate in it. So um, it's an invitation to us all. And, um, you know, I was just thinking we had a memorial in here yesterday for um, the Capones who lost their son. And, um, God, and it was raw. But um, and I think the way that God draws near to the brokenhearted, it, there's this term you've probably heard me use in the past, but this idea of a thin place. Are you familiar with that term? It's where, like, heaven and earth get really close. And I think something like that happens at these memorials. And um, got to watch even just some beautiful like reconciliation things happen within the family. And anyway, I think we're just sort of, we get the advantage of getting to sit in the warmth of that afterwards. I just was thinking, gosh, such a sense of God's presence here with us this morning. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I want to continue in our our topic of wisdom, but I I need to do so with a little bit of a disclaimer here today. Um, Talking about wisdom is, is again, it's this invitation that Jesus gives us to walk in a different path, what he calls a narrow way. And I I mentioned last week this verse in in Jeremiah 6 that I I love this verse. It says, um, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. And this is the beautiful invitation of wisdom that comes to us. But I mentioned last week, the the verse there in Jeremiah goes on. But you said, we will not walk in it. And this is the tricky thing about wisdom, right, is that uh, not only is it a path that we're invited to, but it's this reminder that there are other paths. Paths that don't bring rest for our souls. Paths that aren't the good way. And whatever path we choose is going to have consequence of who we are and who we're becoming. That these paths in this journey, it forms us. That as we step through life, as we walk on this journey, it's leading us in a way. In this journey of transformation, it's not only available to some. This is what's happening for all of us. As we walk our path, all of us are being transformed according to whichever path we choose. And Paul is constantly beckoning us to, to follow this path that leads towards what he calls maturity in Christ. Jesus would just call it the path of life. The path where we thrive, the path, path where we find rest for our soul. And as we walk this journey in this transformation, I, I think it's important to note that our faith changes a bit as we go. I was thinking about this quote from a poet. Christian Wyman wrote this book called My Bright Abyss. And in this, he says, 
whatever faith you emerge with at the end of your life is going to be not simply affected by that life, but intimately dependent upon it. Which means that even the staunchest life of faith is a life of great change. It follows that if you believe at 50 what you believed at 15, you've not lived or have denied the reality of your life. That statement there is, feels a little heavy there at the end. And, and I don't think he means that like going back your faith was wrong and now it's right. I think he means as we grow, our understanding of the depths of it change, changes as we go. That all of us have a tendency, and, and just through our own capacity to we sort of create God in our image in some ways. Do you know what I'm talking about? What makes sense? And and so the journey is this journey of discovering more of who God is, but it also has this sort of letting go of these things that we've created along the way. And so we're in this process of God reshaping, reshaping us, deepening our beliefs, helping us understand, like Paul says, the height and width and the depth and the breadth of God's love. That all of us understand it, but probably in a way that is too small, which is okay. We just keep walking. We keep remaining open to growth. When we walk this path of life, our understanding of God deepens. But the other paths, there are other paths that we can choose. And often these paths have a sort of allure to it. There are um, paths that aren't so restful, paths that are maybe more selfish paths. Sometimes paths that are anxious paths, self-serving paths that do damage to our souls. And the message today is not meant to be a message of of shame. It's hopefully a message of invitation, but also with it a message of warning. Because Proverbs speaks over and over about the path of wisdom, but he also talks about the path of the fool. And I don't know if you can talk about wisdom without at some point talking about foolishness. So guess what we're talking about today? And the fool is described in so many just wonderful, almost playful ways throughout the Proverbs. Um, Here's a few. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Whoever utters slander is a fool. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. A fool flaunts his folly. A fool is reckless and careless. This one, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. You get the picture, right? (laughs) And as you read through that, right, you get this sort of image. There's this kind of bumbling aspect to this, this person who lives in denial, this kind of obliviousness or this chosen obliviousness to the fool. Some of you may even have a name to go with the image, right? Um, I, I, I think of... When I used to sit as a kid in the dentist office, they had this magazine called Highlights. Do any of you remember this? And and they had in Highlights this cartoon, Goofus and Gallant. Do you remember this? (laughs) Goofus bosses his friends. Gallant asks, what do you want to do next? Goofus takes the apple, but Gallant shares his orange. 
And in some ways, Proverbs isn't more complex than this, right? I, I do think, though, that sometimes this can lend the wrong perception as if there just are goofuses. <laughs> Poor guy, right? Like his parents gave him that name. Like, what did you expect? But but the truth is, like, foolishness isn't, like, rooted in, like, you as a bad apple. It's this behavior that we practice. And to act that way as a fool, there's a sort of blindness, a denial, as it comes down to it, of reality itself. It's living in this repetitive, habitual way of denying truth. I, I can't think of a better example of, of the fool than um, Birdie J from The Glass Onion. Has anybody watched? Anybody? Or like Knives Out? I mean, these, these like are masterful at, at view, viewing the fool. Um, Birdie J is this character and this Benoit Blanc is a, it's a sleuth murder mystery. They're very clever. But, but Birdie says at one point, I'm a truth teller. And um, Benoit Blanc, the detective, says... It's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Don't you think? And later when, when the detective points out the, the behavior of, of the murderer that he's accusing, he just, he says, oh gosh, that, that was just so dumb. And, and Bertie J says, so dumb, it's brilliant. And Benoit Blanc says, no, it's just dumb. And I think some, in some ways, this is kind of Solomon as he's writing this, going, you guys, that's just dumb. And when we see somebody else doing it, when we see Goofus over there, we're like, yeah, that's just dumb. But when we're talking about ourselves, we're like, so dumb, it's brilliant. So dumb, it's brilliant. And, and this is this is the thing. Like you hear that statement, you know, like online, like oh, you can't fix stupid, right? It, and always that's with a finger pointed, right? Goofus over there. But the truth is, you can fix stupid. Just your own stupidity, your own foolishness, and the wise are aware and paying attention to their own foolishness and changing course. All of us have this tendency within us to turn our narrative, to turn it into a way that somehow turns our foolishness into a virtue. But see, this is what the fool does, this chosen blindness Tim Keller says, fools are people so habitually out of touch with reality that they make life miserable for themselves and those all around them. And nobody starts out as this. I think we sort of become this when we walk this over and over and over, when we repeat these things to ourselves over and over and over. Eventually it forms something in us. It forms a rut forms a behavior that becomes at some point part of who we are. We need to catch these statements as we tell them to ourselves. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So dumb, it's brilliant, right? No, it's just dumb. 
That's just not true, right? But it's a way of like, oh, no, 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 freedom, right? I can get out of here unscathed. And to be wise, here's the good news. This isn't like talking about, all oh, the wise are so intelligent. Because the truth is, there's a lot of very intelligent people that behave foolishly. But the foolish thoughts, I think most of it happens in our minds. It's in how we think. When we're told in Scripture to love God with all our mind, when we're told by Paul to hold every thought captive, it's this self-interrogation, catching ourselves in these places, correcting these wrongful thoughts. I like how C.S. Lewis says, if you're, gonna be, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you're embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. And learning how to think carefully, right, is, is a way of interrogating our own patterns, our own behaviors, evaluating those things and spotting the foolishness in its like seed form before it really takes root. Proverbs 1, 22 through 24 says that wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And this verse is helpful because wisdom is pleading to against really three distinct forms of foolishness here. And I think it's helpful for us to unpack this a bit because foolishness can take a lot of different forms. Here, again, we see three that I want to point out and then I want to talk about each of these this morning. The first is simple-mindedness or the simple. The second we'll call obstinate. Here it refers to it as a fool, but the one who opposes knowledge. And and what we'll see is this word, the Hebrew word for it is probably a little more clearly translated obstinate. And the third is the mocker. The simple-minded, the obstinate, and the mocker. And simple-minded, this might at first kind of appear unfair, like, hey, go easy, go easy on the simple people, right? But, but it's not talking about simplicity here. It's not talking about people that choose to sort of live a, a quiet life or like the simple things. It's talking about really um, being gullible. The, that the simple are people that just believe the first thing they hear. Proverbs 14:15 says, "The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps." And I like how it, it kind of, you know, gives us an opposite end of the spectrum. To you see the gullibility over here of the simple, countered by the prudence of the wise. And, and prudence is really just like common sense. But, but it's common sense with an air of restraint. I like how Proverbs 18, 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. 
And the prudent are aware of this. They hear the first thing they hear and they go, okay, that might be true. And then pay attention to the sort of bigger picture, the other side. There's another viewpoint there. And when we talk about following the ancient paths, this is, I think, what the prudent do, is they look to the paths that, where others have gone before them. They're aware of the fact that, that all of us are sort of navigating on our own, and yet we have access to, to truth that speaks to us from the past that's been tested over time. I like how Chesterton refers to this as, as like the democracy of the dead, like giving them a say in the matter, those who have gone before. Not because our goal is to go backward, but to listen to that tested wisdom, to hold to it, to trust to it. This is what prudence does. In Proverbs 16, 22 through 24, Proverbs says that prudence is a fountain of life to the prudent, but folly brings punishment to fools. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Walking in this good path, this restful path, is one where our words are filled with grace. Where our hearts are careful and prudent. And what you find here, and you're going to see this again and again, anybody that's signing up for the women's study in James is going to hear plenty said about the tongue. And it's a good starting place for us in thinking about wisdom. That, that when in doubt, like, don't, thank you, Gil. When you're like, should I say this? Probably not. And I, I think this idea of holding back, responding with grace, simply restraining the words that we want to use. Well, Proverbs 17:28 says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent, right? Like if you're if you're a fool, but you know, you can just take a step forward just by keeping your mouth shut, right? <laughs> right? People are like, he looks like he's got something to say, huh? Like don't say anything. Just um but this idea of restraint, I, I think this is sort of the, the beauty and the practicality of all of this, is just the invitation to wisdom. It's like that little song I used to sing when I was a kid in Good News Club, be careful, little mouth, what you say. And the truth is that all of us, I think, in, in restraining our tongue, will keep from starting these fires, keep from the slander that's created by the careless word, keep our hearts from stumbling, like where words are not absent, like, or where is it? When words are many, sin is not absent, right? The more we speak, generally, eventually, we get to this place where we blunder. But in that restraint, it's not just holding back, although that's a good place to start, but it creates the opportunity then to listen, and for the simple to become wise, it's worth listening to other positions, understanding what is underneath all of them. 
I had one professor that said, until you can state another's case that you disagree with, until you can state it to their level of satisfaction, you aren't truly being objective. And I thought, oh, isn't that good, right? So often we're trying to tell other people what they believe. Let me tell you what you believe. Let me tell you where that leads. Let me tell you where that ends up instead of going, what I hear you saying is this. Is that right? This is how we begin to practice wisdom. Second form of foolishness, obstinance. And this word to me, this is really just a lack of teachability. Scripture will sometimes refer to these as the stiff-necked, the ones who refuse correction. And again, we see this so clearly in others, don't we? There's a phenomenon now that they're talking about how when you give better arguments than your opponent, it, it tends to push them even deeper into their convictions. Are you aware of this? How interesting is that, right? Like, oh, if I could just give some really compelling argument, that's going to pull on my way. And you go, it doesn't. It, it pushes people away. And I, I think that gets at the nature of, of obstinance. It's we're on guard, we're on the defense, or we're withdrawing. We're not listening. We're trying to win arguments instead of pursuing knowledge. And there's a reason for it. I, I think the truth is growth can feel unsettling to us. I really love that feeling of being right. It, it feels really good. But, but that's not the same thing as truth. And often, if I'm going to pursue the truth over being right, it, it means taking a closer look at my convictions, seeing how maybe I disguise those things as confidence and boldness when, in fact, I'm, I'm withdrawing from the uneasiness of examining my own heart. I've talked about how there's this uh, phenomena that's referred to as the Dunning-Kruger effect. We've talked about this a couple times in our study, but I think it's fascinating. I, Adam Grant was the one who like pointed this out to me, not personally, through his book. But... Um, <laughs> It's this, well, I think I've got it here. Yep, it's um, cognitive bias in which people wrongly overestimate their knowledge or ability in a specific area. This tends to occur because of a lack of self-awareness, which prevents them from accurately assessing their own skills. It's just overconfidence, right? But the phenomena of the Dunning-Kruger effect is that we follow people who are confident. So when you've got a, the overconfident, lower competence, being the ones that are like, I'll do it, we're like, that's who I trust, right? So you see the effect. We're actually following the people we shouldn't based simply on a lack of self-awareness on them that they're like, I'm the expert here, right? And it's tricky, right? But, but it's realizing that that tendency to, to follow the person that's got it all figured out. When really in the back of our mind, we should be like, okay, hang on, right? That humility we see over and over again is a mark of somebody that we can trust. Follow humility, not overconfidence. Follow the person that is aware of what they don't know, not the person that's got it all figured out. Do you get the difference there? 
that the obstinate is like this closed system. It's not growing. It's dug in. But the wise are the ones who are open and listening, questioning themselves, listening to others, and aware of what they don't necessarily know. I, I've talked about this before, but I, it's just sticks out to me so much is that in this book, Justification by N.T. Wright, in his introduction, he says, I'm sure I'll probably change my mind about 30% of this. I just don't know what 30%. Basically saying, this is what I believe 100% today. And I hear that and I think, Okay, I trust that voice. The person that instead just clings to it no matter what, right? That's not what we want. That, that That's being obstinate. That's the person who's not open to knowledge. The person who holds it, but holds it with an open hand, this is the posture of wisdom. And that doesn't mean you don't have conviction. doesn't mean you don't have confidence. It just means you remain teachable. Foolishness is when we cling with that tight fist. And this is why I think the way of wisdom, the way of following this path feels costly because at times we have to give up things that feel sacred to us, right? Like, oh, but I loved that or that was working for me. And the way of wisdom, the way on this journey is this way of staying open to where we are being led. And sometimes I think on my journey, I can kind of fantasize about going back. Going back to what worked before. Okay, if I'm totally honest, like there are times where I think back and go, oh, it was nice to be an assistant pastor. <laughs> because when things, when I was working under Brad, um, who was a pastor before me, when things got really hard, I'd be like, good luck, Brad. <laughs> And I think that about like previous places I've been on my journey and going, oh, that was nice. I wish I could just stay right there. But God's going, Jeff, I want to lead you in a path that's going to point out where you're blind, what you're missing, where you need to grow. And see, the path of wisdom, this path of, of transformation, when we refuse and are obstinate towards not growing, we, we stunt our growth. We hold ourselves back from where God is trying to take us to show us really more of who we are. But it takes a lot of courage to walk that path. It takes walking through areas where we're like unsure and remembering that, that we've got a God who walks with us through that. A God who shows us where we've gotten stuck. And Jesus was the master of this. You, you notice Jesus, I mean, just again, like I like how Dallas Willard says, sometimes we forget that Jesus was the most brilliant person who ever lived. We'll ascribe other virtues to him, but we forget this is the smartest man who ever lived. And he teaches so brilliantly, but often what he does is when he comes up against the obstinate, the Pharisees, the closed-minded, he just asks some questions, questions that sort of mess with their system. But, but he does that to us, doesn't he? He pokes at us where we've got it all figured out. 
Sometimes that's the most loving thing that he can do is respond back to us and say, are you sure, Jeff, are you sure? If we don't stay open and teachable, there's there's danger to it. Not only does it stunt our growth, not only does it keep us small, but I think something in us can sort of wither. And, and the danger, if we stop growing, is that we can become cynical. We can actually lose our hope. That, that by hiding ourselves or avoiding those hard things, avoiding that growth, something inside of us can shrink. And this third form of foolishness to me is what really strikes home that this, that if we, if we don't stay soft, our hearts harden and the appearance of that is mockery. This mockery is this sort of blend of arrogance and smugness, sneering. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go online and read through the comments of anything. The, the brilliance of the mockery, right? Read through the, the Twitter comments that come out. Brilliant mockery. Brilliant condescension. And this is what happens when we sort of withdraw from this and insist on being right. Something inside of us starts to become cruel. It becomes mean. That in that defensiveness, this is where it starts, the fruit really starts to rot. And we are not only to avoid mockery, but but we're to really avoid hanging out with mockers. Because it's contagious. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I'm not saying if somebody's, you know, has this tendency that you just avoid them altogether, or something like that, or treat them like they have the plague. No. But, but it's being careful of what we're participating in that we can so easily get pulled into these kind of discussions where the words don't just go from being foolish but being cruel, mean, these kind of things. Finding the weakness in others. Finding the vulnerability. And it happens like in even more passive ways than that. I, I think of that, I'm going to mispronounce this, but what is it, schadenfreude? That German term for like taking pleasure at your opponent's defeat, right? And I love that in Ted Lasso where he's like, this is a non-schadenfreude zone. We don't take pleasure in another's defeat, right? But to go, we do. I think the mocker kind of does. When we see our opponents fall, we're like, yes. And to go, oh, no, 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 right? That's foolish. It's just dumb. And to guard our hearts from that sort of cynicism, right? We, we need to beware of it, that it can be kind of a cancer to our soul. And life can do this to us. I mean, I, I love that example of Pilate standing there before Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm the truth. And Pilate's saying, what is truth? And, and sometimes this is like ultimately what this mockery does to wisdom. 
is it erodes truth. It, it leaves it unattainable, so beyond us, and we lose hope. And this reminder of Jesus saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, is this beautiful promise that as we walk these paths of life, we're reminded we do not walk alone. Jesus is saying, walk with me. Stay with me. Stay close to me. And the truth is, all of us are walking through life with questions. And church ought to be a safe place to ask those questions. If you trip along the way, there ought to be somebody there that that picks you up. When we experience discouragement and defeat, we're allowed to bring those things here. We're not shamed for asking questions. We're not put down when our hearts waver. Instead, we come along and embrace each other because this is exactly what Jesus does for us. In Matthew 12, Matthew quotes from the book of Isaiah this about Jesus saying, Behold my servant who I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. And this is what I love so much about God, and he walks with us in this path the way he protects the fragile heart. That we don't need to guard it in all this withdrawal from the truth and all this self-protection, but that we can let God come in and hold our heart. I was going to bring him up here and I forgot, but I have this, um, Tony Smith bought me this candle holder one time that's these two hands holding this little candle. And I've always thought like to light that candle feels like, oh, God's presence here with us. But I was thinking as I was reading this, that no, that like little candle there is me and God's hands come around and hold at times a smoldering wick that God comes into that heart that's maybe struggling and protects it where it's fragile. He protects the bruised reed and keeps it from breaking. The fool goes wandering in this denial And God comes alongside and reminds us, no, there's another way, another path, invites us to this path that is going to bring rest to our souls. Who comes in and gently protects that wick when it's smoldering, protects that bruised heart and keeps it from breaking, but never insists, always invites, never coerces us, but instead welcomes us to a better way. Wherever you are today on your faith journey, just know you're not walking alone. If you're here and you're struggling or you're questioning or you're wondering, that's okay. That's a good thing. But to pursue truth at all costs, to hold on to hope, that's the invitation. That is the good way. And what it means is not worrying about tomorrow, but just being obedient to what God gives us today. I love this from George MacDonald. He says, um, 
what God may hereafter require of you, you must not give yourself the least trouble about. Everything he gives you to do, you must do as well as ever you can. And that is the best possible preparation for what he may want you to do next. If people would but do what they have to do, they would always find themselves ready for what comes next. And we have this God who gives us today what we need, provides for us something that's not more than we can bear. It's more than we can bear on our own, but enough that we can bear it with him. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right. Here's my questions for you. And they're longer today because I have a little bit of like a, if this, then do this, right? And the first is, what are the questions I'm avoiding? Thinking through the lens of the simple-minded. How am I choosing simple-mindedness instead of growing more into wisdom? And how might I listen carefully and thoughtfully to differing views? Practice your listening and practice holding back those words that come too quickly. Number two, where have I become obstinate? Where do I find myself shutting down the conversation? Where do I find myself getting angry or emotionally flooded? You know what I'm talking about there, right? How can I choose instead to hold my tongue, to give up having the last word, to find the deeper question instead of the quick answer? Practicing prudence, practicing restraint. And number three, where do I find myself laughing at the expense of my opponent? Where do I experience pleasure at others' pain? Can I instead choose empathy and to see the humanity in them, to extend grace instead of falling into cynicism? And this is the goal in this series. You know, this is, this is the opportunity for us. This is the invitation. The Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Amen.